Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, Turtle Box Audio, All Hands Vodka, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we have a live recording from the Florida Outdoor Expo with Gabriel Blue Gabe Arrington. In this podcast, Gabriel shares more about his career on YouTube and how he went from dropping out of high school in the ninth grade to running a well-known and successful outdoor channel. We also dive into how he deals with negativity and the importance of learning how to do things yourself, figuring out things your own way, whether that's casting or capturing softshell turtles. We hope that you enjoy our time together. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. Beep, 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 beep. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right. Well, hey, Gabe, thanks so much for hanging out and joining me at the Florida Outdoor Expo. It's been a pretty good weather, great show down here. And I just appreciate you carving out a little bit of time so that I can hear a little bit more about your story and how you got into the outdoors. And I've seen a lot of your video stuff that's really been taken off over the past few years. But I want to hear first before we dive into that for you, how did you fall in love with the outdoors? Where did it all begin? I, I didn't really have an option to fall in love with it. I had a dad that that's all he did and two older brothers. So mm-hmm. it was a do or die. You either went or you got left at home. But then to top it off, I had a mom that she wanted to go too. She wasn't into the hunting aspect of it, but she was into always being there for my dad, being there for us brothers, always had a home cooked meal. So I didn't have a choice, but with that being said, it didn't take me very long to just love every aspect of it. And when you talk about somebody that's done it since they've been in the womb, mm-hmm. that's me. Like, I've never done anything but that. If I'm not doing it, I'm thinking about it. Even today when I'm editing, I could be tired 1 a.m. and I'm editing, and I'm not even necessarily thinking about the video that I'm editing. I'm thinking about the next thing that I'm going to go do. Yeah. And fortunately for me, what I do for a living is what I would be doing anyways, just add cameras and a whole bunch of stress to it. Yeah. So as a kid, what was the dream as far as trying to work in the outdoors? Did you have something that you really wanted to do from an early age? Did you want to be a guide or a, a, un, own a hunting operation? Was it always wanting to be a media? How did all that unfold for you? I think I'm so much different than probably anybody you've ever talked to when it comes to that. I never had a dream. Mm-hmm. I lived day to day. I went to work every single day worked as hard as I could, I would set a goal like, I want a new dog box or like, 
my parents weren't poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. My dad made us work for whatever we got. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, you had to keep up with the Joneses. There was only one way to do, and that was work it. So my whole life, starting out very young, I would, I'd go to school. I didn't, I don't have much of an education. I went to school in ninth grade and left. And I said, oh, heck with this, I'm going to go to work. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was supposed to be in 10th grade, I was making more than the principal at the school I was at. But that <laughs> solely came from kingfishing from daylight till 11 o'clock at night, um, going to catch a couple wild hogs and sell them for $50 each. But I didn't live like one day I want to be a firefighter. One day I want to do this. No, I was living from day to day. Tomorrow I want to go hog hunting, but today I got to work to get there. So dropping out of high school, what did that conversation with mom look like? So good God, I can remember it to this day. Like I straight up, I don't think I have much more than like a sixth grade education. Everything that I have now has come from the school of hard knocks. Yeah. But to me, everything I have now is what I needed to get to me. I didn't learn pre-algebra because guess what? I wouldn't use pre-algebra. Yeah. Um, for me, I knew what it was going to take and it was going to be hands-on as hard as I could go. Um, I mean, I would literally in, in a given day, I would do anything from go commercial king fishing or spear fishing. We'd go spear barracudas in the middle of the bull sharks to make enough money to be able to go snapper fishing the next day. Mm -hmm. So I always strived for what can I do to get to me where I want to go tomorrow. And with that, each day I'd have a little bit left over. And next thing you know, it just took off. And then when I was 18 years old, my dad hired me, or no, DeVosta hired me, which was the biggest home building company in the world at that time, to run their Bobcat which is heavy equipment to go around the job site, just cleaning up trash. Well, my dad owned a Bobcat company, but he's like, you're not working for me yeah. until you know how to run your machine. You're going to do that on their wallet. <laughs> so I spent a year figuring it out. And finally my dad came to me and hired me and the rest is history. But the day I quit, the day I decided I was going to quit school, I walked in and my dad would cuss and holler. He never said any bad words, but he'd say, you know, the obvious, and uh, when I, but if he ever said, buddy, you're done. Like, yeah. I'd rather go fight the police than say, <laughs> hear my dad say, buddy. So he said, come here, buddy. I'm like, oh, oh, no. So he said, sit down at the table. And I did. And he goes, so you want to be a man, huh? I said, dad, before you even get started, I just want to work. Hmm. I don't want to do anything but work. He goes, why is that? I said, because I want to be able to own my own truck one day and I want to be able to do things. He goes, I tell you what. You save up $2,000, and I'll match that $2,000, and we'll go buy you a new truck. And I said, do what? Mm -hmm. I was already out the door. I caught more hogs in the next two weeks than I had in the first five years combined. Yeah. Got me $2,000. He went and bought me a new truck. And if it wasn't for that, no telling where I would have ended up in life. Wow. He could have kicked me out of the house and said, you're a loser, like all the teachers did. Mm -hmm. But he said, nope. Let's see how hard you want to work if you want to work. And I'm telling you, for the next... How many every years it's been, 25, 30 years, I've worked hard every day. Now, as a kid, was there a certain thing in the outdoor world that you loved more than everything else? Was it fishing, hunting, or have you always been a little bit of a renaissance man when it comes to outdoor activities? That's probably one of my most common questions is, what's your favorite fish to catch or what's your favorite thing to hunt? I like it all. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that like, like if you us ever come and hang out with me, that's who I am. Rico will tell you, I get excited for anything outdoors. It can be minnows in a ditch if it excites my kids or me for that matter, or it could be big stuff. But to be honest with you, I'm not into 
the big sport fishing. Mm-hmm. Like Crystal and I went, my girlfriend went two days ago and caught some 25 pound black fins offshore on our own boat. That's what I strive to own my own boat, my own gear and do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love the charter business. And if it wasn't for them, most people couldn't go fishing. But what tickles my fancy is like back in the day when I was young, working hard, mm-hmm. my dream to own a contender had always been there. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I could own more than a contender now, but I own a contender because that's... So I guess if you asked me what my yeah. dream was, it was to own a contender. Yeah. And now I own it. Yeah. And I was watching my own YouTube video last night laying in bed because sometimes we just get so distracted and we don't even get... And I'm, I'm laying there in bed. I'm like, oh my God, I love that boat. It, it, to some, it's just an old contender, a 2008. But to me, it's... On the way here, we passed a Ferrari, and Luke and Jake are like, oh, my God, there's a Ferrari. Imagine owning that. I'm like, we got one at the house. It's just got contender written on the side of it. Yeah. Same price as the Ferrari. but Yeah, life is filled with those moments where you had dreams or aspirations as a kid, and you finally get a, you finally get a check that box. And sometimes people rush so fast through it, they don't fully sit in it. Oh, 100%. And that's why I can straight up tell you, I never had a dream to be something as I got older. I wanted to be something that my family could respect. Did I always do that? More than likely not. Mm -hmm. But I always thrive to meet my expectations, like working as hard as I could, never happened to, I never borrowed a dollar of money in my life until about a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. I always paid for everything. And then I got to a point where, I got to a point where I needed to borrow some cash for a motor and heck, I was a grown man by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my best advice to give anybody who's listening to this, who's wondering how you get to where I'm at, dig as deep and as hard as you can and work as hard as you can. And when mm-hmm. they and the naysayers are saying, oh, it must be nice. Like most people that watch me, and I'm sure you get the same thing, they're like, oh, it must be nice. I'm thinking, well, damn, last night when you were sleeping at 1 a.m., I said I was still working. Mm-hmm. And I was up yesterday morning at... 5:30 a.m. and I got up this morning at 6:30 a.m. Not bragging, but that's what it takes to get to where you're at. Yeah. So tell me about getting from the Bobcat to doing the outdoor media full time. What did that look like for you? So my brother Robert, obviously deer meat for dinner. He started it years. He started it when the starting was good, like mm-hmm. when there wasn't very many people. There were some big guys doing it, but it wasn't that popular. And I was so hardcore into. You get up and work every day. Mm-hmm. My dad would treat us like we were robots. Like you did the same, you work. So when Robert was doing YouTube, we're like, oh, this is a joke. This is not necessarily a joke, but we just didn't pay it much yeah. attention. So I'm still killing myself every day working. Having fun though. I get off work at four o'clock or whatever time we're going fishing or whatever. Well, I could clearly see him starting to make a lot of money yeah. and getting to travel doing it. Um, so fast forward a couple of years, I spent the money, bought a computer. Um, Rico helped me a lot, got everything I needed to get. And then I went to Robert's house to see how to edit. And I looked at what he did and I walked away from it for six months. I'm like, that heck no. Was I, it just overwhelming the amount Adobe of Adobe Premiere? I'm like, I'll never be able to do that. Yeah. I'll never be able to do that. But then, you know, me and my dad had been working together for 21 straight years. Imagine working with your dad. Yeah. Talking about we got to a point where we didn't have a relationship. We just worked together. We get mad at each other. So I said, it's now or never. I'm going to do it now or never. And it was hard. Like 
the sad thing about it is some of your best friends will be your worst enemies. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to filming, you need all hands on deck. Like, you can't have people cussing. You can't have music. So you quickly figure out who your real friends are. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I started and I got some good videos. You know, I did it a, a lot on my own. My brother helped me a, a little bit. And he already had the audience. But that's the thing is so many people, you know, they're like, oh, your brother, this Well, only 20% of our views come for subscribers. So really, we're just people wondrously living through YouTube. But I succeeded because I refused to fail. Mm -hmm. I just dug as deep as I could. I I my first big paycheck from YouTube was twenty five thousand dollars. And I cried that day in Georgia. I sat on a tree, a grown man, and I cried because I was so broke. I needed that 25 grand to pay my bills to get to the next month. Yeah. But when I got paid that month, it was for 20 and I was depending on the 20 to get me even and the six to get me through the next month. Well, they withheld taxes that month Uh. and I didn't know that. And you can't communicate with YouTube. So I just thought, well, they just jacked me out of six grand. I'll Mm -hmm. never be able to make it because I refuse to live on credit. Mm -hmm. But, and I literally sat down as a grown man. That was the most depressed I'd ever been in life. I was, upset hmm. i shook it off and i got up and i'm like if i made 25 this month i could make more next month yeah i ain't never made less than that i went as hard as i could yeah i mean it's such a it's such an amazing thing because for me even doing the podcast i remember being a kid and watching people on vhs tapes and, yeah you know they were doing what they loved and you have no clue you have no clue what it takes or kind of what all you need to do to make it to that level, but you have this love for hunting and fishing and you just figure if I can find a way to make a little bit of money off of this or be able to do this to the maximum amount, that's that's all any young kid who loves it really wants. But when you go to make that jump, right, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, it's so uncommon. I mean, so many you meet so many people, I, I, I wanted to have a show or here's my idea for a podcast or here's what I wanted to do slow me down and let me sit in that for for a moment with you what did it look like for you to make the jump and go all in was it was it an easy decision was it really challenging how did you work through saying okay now's the time to put all my chips in the middle of the table i was literally mentally forced into it i forced myself into Mm -hmm. it so everybody in life needs to get out of their comfort zone and i think that's what people lack the most Mm -hmm. in life is getting out of their comfort zone whether whatever it is I literally said, it's right now, do or die. I was at a decision that I either had to walk away from my dad's bobcat business and start another one. Mm -hmm. But as much as we would get aggravated with each other, we couldn't do it without each other. So I knew I can't make it without my dad. Mm -hmm. And just like my dad can't really make it without me, we were a team. Mm -hmm. And I love him to death. I'm not bad-mouthing my dad. It was just two hard-headed humans working together side by side. So I'm like, I'm going to go all in. And I had Rico from the beginning helping me with certain things. And he still, Rico still does things that I could never dream of on the computer. And I literally just said all in. And one thing I like to tell somebody, so the most money I ever made in one month pre-YouTube, a friend of mine in Okeechobee came to me and said, do you know how to catch soft shell turtles? I'm like, not really, but I guess I could figure it out why. He goes, we got three months to catch as many as we can. And then they're going to shut the season down. Mm -hmm. So they give him permits to catch as many as he could to farm them. And then forever they'll be shut down. I caught 30,000 pounds that month. Wow. I quadrupled anybody else. What was the key? What did that look like? Hard work. That was the key. So you Traps or what? Nope. um, Survey stakes, the wooden stakes you see on the side of the road when they're surveying. Some survey string, a little hook, and salt pork. 
But the first day I did it, he gave me the basics. Here's the hook. Here's the line. Do it about like this. And you had to put them in these croaker sacks. So I took like four croaker sacks thinking that yeah. I'm only going to go catch four or five of these. But $1.50 a pound, if I catch 100 pounds, where did that come from? Oh, I think you're good. Anyhow, if I catch 150 pounds, that's 200 bucks, or give or take a little bit. I caught 1,250 pounds the first day. I had turtles climbing out of my truck, driving to my mom's, to figure out how I was going to hold them all. And But I, what I quickly realized, everybody else would set their lines and come back the next day. I figured out if you set them for 30 minutes and came back and checked them, you'd have one. Yeah. But if you waited an hour, it could get off. So all day okay. I checked them. Every, every 30 minutes, around and around, I smoked them. I just go at everything. So when I went into YouTube and I got through those first couple videos, sunglasses was how I did it because mm -hmm. I was intimidated by the camera. So I put glasses where you couldn't see my eyes and I'd be talking to the camera, but I'd be looking over to the right. Yeah, of the camera. Yeah. I wouldn't be looking at it. And that's something I strive for my kids to do now. Like if you walk up, meet my son, Luke, and he doesn't look at you, I'm going to pop him on the side of his head and say, look at him in his eyes. Yeah. Because it's so important. So I got past the intimidation of the camera. And then from there, I just said, I'm going to go as hard as I can and go every day. And I'm not going to just fish. I'm not going to like, look at my channel. I do everything. Yeah. But I did that before YouTube. I just didn't record it. Yeah. And that's one of the things you're known for is being well-versed and kind of have your hands in a lot of different disciplines of the outdoor world. What are some tips you give to somebody about figuring out things where somebody, because some people get stuck in a box, their own box, and they're afraid to be new at something, or they're afraid to, to fail or maybe look stupid or whatever. Like if somebody was saying, Hey, I want to learn how to do blank, catch soft shell turtles, whatever it is, what principles would you give them to try to be a fast adapter and learner in the outdoors? So it's, it's so hard for me to answer that question now because we grew up pre-YouTube. Mm -hmm. How old are you? I'm 30. Okay, so you're not even old enough to remember. We didn't have like Google or YouTube. So yeah. we, we had to go endlessly try to figure it out and just fail after fail after fail. But mm -hmm. now with, with people, you, all you got to do is just Google anything on YouTube and there it is. You can learn how to do it. The thing you want to do is do it as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I, if I want to go catch snakeheads today, I'm going to be looking at snakeheads. But while I'm walking around snakehead fishing, I'm also going to be looking at peacock bass. And what are they doing? Did they react to my snakehead lure, which is something that they wouldn't normally eat? I'm always multitasking. And, you know, my girlfriend, Crystal, she's new to this whole world. And she often gets like, oh, I think I look. She walked by last night while I was editing. She's like, oh, I sound so stupid. I'm like, well, give it a second. And you'll hear me sound real stupid, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, we all, we beat ourselves up. Yeah. I often think I sound stupid. Well, a lot of times when I think I sound stupid, I never get a comment. But then I'll do something that I'm really proud of, and I'll get so many comments. Oh, you idiot. Or, yeah. oh, look <laughs> at this guy. He thinks he knows everything. Yeah. But that right there is single-handedly the hardest thing to do with YouTube is the negative so i don't know everybody gets it right so it's not mm -hmm. like me everybody gets bashed you'll get bashed on this podcast at some point i don't know if people do it for the intention like they want to get me to react so then yeah. they're like oh yes he said something to me or if they're just generally that miserable but mm -hmm. people will beat you down so imagine me and you were fishing during the day and i just kept saying you suck dude you mm -hmm. look at you you don't even know how to throw that rod or god your socks suck yeah. You know, oh, this sandwich you made for lunch sucks. And I told you all day you sucked. Yeah. You're eventually going to break down on the boat and be like, bro, 
Like, why do you even have me with you? Mm -hmm. Well, that's how, unfortunately, YouTube is these days. Because I'll get, if, if I get a thousand comments, maybe a hundred of them will be bad. Mm -hmm. But those bad ones stand out. Yeah, they because stick. Because people like me who take pride in it. Like, I take pride in my boat. Um, like, I had a guy sit, leave a comment, ha ha. You must feel real smart that you bought a piece of crap boat talking about my contender. And I'm thinking, well, how was I supposed to know it was a piece of crap? You know, I, mm -hmm. that makes me want to be a better person hearing mm -hmm. that negativity. So I'll find a kid or, or somebody or I'll I'll inspire somebody just to be positive. Like, yeah, we all do something differently. I guarantee you, if me, you and Rico grabbed a rod and went out in the parking lot and cast it, all of us would hold that rod a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make any of us any better. Yeah. And what I see now for kids growing up wanting to do YouTube is not having the strong heart that I have that can take the negative because the negative weighs on you way worse than the positive. So if you want to do YouTube, you better be prepared because they're going to make fun of your ears or your teeth or mm -hmm. your clothes or your car. You have to be able to survive that. Yeah. Because they're going to find it. They'll find your weak point. So I used to fire back. Now, if somebody leaves a, a negative comment on my channel and I think about it for more than a second throughout a day, I delete them off my channel. Yeah. I have deleted probably 20,000 followers. Wow. If I think about what they said for more than 20 seconds. Now, if it's different, you know, if I clean the fish and they said, hey, that's not really how I do it. You can do it better than that. That's fine. Yeah. But if somebody just calls you out, I delete them. Yeah. And that's what these kids got to realize that they're facing in the era of social media. I didn't have that growing up. You called somebody mm -hmm. stupid, you were doing it to their face and you had to physically then deal with the consequence. Sure. Now kids can eat each other alive on social media and you have to be willing to take it. Um, yeah. And you think about how hard it is for them because, you know, we're grown men, like we've lived enough yeah. life, you know, when you're a 13 year old kid and you're just trying to share something you care about, I mean, yeah. it's, it's intimate. And there's a saying that I think is really true in life, which is you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And, you know, in life, people who are positive, people who are encouraging, not butt kissing, lying to people, schmoozing them. But Just be real. I, I think I think that goes further. And I think, too, what I work through with people who are really negative or really critical is where I've gotten to the point in my life in general is I just go, man, it must be miserable to be that person. Like you just think like, cause I have to interact with that negativity for a tiny little bit of time and it sucks. But imagine just being that person who all day, that's how their headspace is, you know? And you just gotta almost have a little bit of empathy and say, I'm gonna, w whether you delete them from your channel or whatever, you know, they're miserable people who are just projecting it onto others, you know? And I think for kids in the outdoor space, even with my children, I, tr I try to keep them away from that so they can first just fall in love with the outdoors before they have to deal with all that negativity for you as a dad. And, and you've kind of come up through all of this, this gold rush of social media and YouTube and podcasting for you. How does that change the way you parent your kids in the outdoors? That old saying hard times make good men and good times make weak men is so true. So mm -hmm. growing up, like I said, my, I had the best parents on the planet. Would they tear my butt up if we did wrong? I mean, beat me down the street. I ain't going to lie. But I love them for it because that's why I'm so hard now. But we had to work for things. Like, God knows we never just went to the store and got a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. That was not even a question. My kids now, 
I'm embarrassed to say what they got in the closet for guns and bows. Mm -hmm. And I see that I'm taking that drive out of them. But what pushes me to work hard is being able to give to them and Mm -hmm. being able to see them like, I was a grown man before I killed a turkey. My mm-hmm. seven-year-old's killed a pile of them now. Like, yeah. And, and that's what pushes me. But I have to also accept the fact that I now, in a different way than my dad taught me, I have to also teach them to be hardworking, you know, respectful men. And I don't know how that's going to work out. I, I, I think I'm doing a good job. But I don't think near enough people in our world talk about the negativity and what our kids mm-hmm. are growing up in. When I was in elementary school, if you said somebody, a girl had cooties or whatever, it got around like eight people. Yeah. Now they can say it and destroy people mentally. Mm-hmm. And I see it with myself. So I'm a big into my comments on YouTube. Not many YouTubers do it, but I'm big in them. I study them. I, I comment back. I thank people. I delete people. And I see how it affects my day. But I feel I owe it to people. If somebody says something nice, I'm going to thank them. Mm-hmm. At least for the first two days, the video's out. I can't yeah. always. I can't keep up with 500 videos or how many ever I have. But we all have to push the this negativity crap's got to end because, mm-hmm. and like you said, it, it's easy to fire back. Yeah. Like I'm a man. I'll go out in the street and brawl with anybody. Mm-hmm. That getting mad's easy. The harder things being nice in return. Yeah. But you feel way better being nice. Like way better. And we have to start pushing that because kids can't succeed. You can't expect a 13-year-old boy to take a mental beating and succeed. You just Mm -hmm. can't. And if they want to be in this world, the YouTube or the social media or Instagram or whatever, they better harden their soul and get ready for a mean ride. Yeah. And there's that old saying, take the high road, there's less traffic. You know, if you you choose to have that mindset, I think you're just going to go further and you're going to have just a better experience in life. I want to talk about a video. So recently you caught your largest fish in Texas. Could you tell me a little bit about that story, kind of how that trip came together, what that that whole experience was like with the gar? If you only could have been there for that. Like so many people don't know. So, oh, I got to think how I'm going to say this. And it's all going to go. So this is that trip. And you have no idea what's about to come out of my mouth. So I met this guy on Instagram, just reached out to him. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, come. I said, all right. I said, listen, I'm going to get to where I fly in midday so we can knock three videos out. I said, we don't need to catch much, just something. I land at like, I think 1 p.m. He mm-hmm. texts me. He said, I'll be there in like five minutes. He showed up four hours later. I sat out on the airport. Right then I said, I should fly home right now because mm-hmm. I would not do that. What a lot of people don't know about me is I have so many people come to my house and I spend so much time catering because that's how i got to where i'm at people helped me so i was mad i'm like and i kept texting him he's like five minutes i'm like bro you said that two and a half hours ago yeah yeah okay he finally gets there and he's in a rental truck he's supposed to have his own truck and a boat and all this stuff and i'm not high maintenance bro i'll fish in a puddle i don't i won't shower for days so never in this story think i'm high maintenance so we're running late. He picks me up. We go to this cemetery in the middle of Texas. And in Texas, it's hot, like way yeah. hotter than Florida. Oh, yeah. No humid or no uh, cool breeze. So we go down on this canal. And I've never told very many people this, but I pay attention to details. He said he fishes this spot all the time. Well, I'm like 40 feet from the water, and I step, and I leave a huge track in the mud. And I look around, and there's no more tracks in the mud anywhere. Right then, I'm calling BS. You yeah. don't fish this spot, or there'd be tracks everywhere. 
But I did. I asked him. I'm like, when was the last? Oh, man, all the time. I'm like, where's the tracks at? Mm-hmm. Did the river just drop? No. And I could tell. I'm like, oh, God, I got me in a doozy now. Yeah, yeah. So I give him the benefit of the doubt, thinking maybe he's just nervous and overthinking. You know, maybe I'm a big YouTuber and he's nervous. So he takes me to the airport. I go to my hotel. He said, what time do you want to get up? I check my phone. I'm like, all right, the major feed's at 11. Pick me up at 8. So we're plenty of time. We're going to go, blah, blah, blah. I call him at 8 o'clock. He's like, I'll be there. Checked out of my room, ate breakfast. I'm ready at 8 o'clock. He showed up at 10.30. Two hours late. Now I'm livid. Yeah. We ride around, blah, 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 just accomplishing nothing. I haven't filmed one thing at this point. So he says, we're going to go like two and a half hours, put the boat in water and ride. No, take it back. He said, we're going to go one hour in the truck, put the boat in the water and fish. An hour and a half later, I'm driving. I'm like, bro, what is going on? Yeah. You said an hour, and it's been an hour and a half. And you, he's like, well, there's a bridge up here. You want to fish under a bridge? I said, I'll fish under a puddle, but I need to fish. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm here to get a video. So we go down underneath this bridge, and I'm talking the roughest conditions as you can imagine. Broken glass, everything you imagine under a bridge, under a highway. We go to the river, same thing. No human tracks. Nothing. Haven't filmed anything. We get down there. Ended up finally, after like three hours, broke something off. I didn't know what it was. And I have my computer with me, which is my entire career. Uh, Rico had it built for me. What was that, like six grand, right? It's on the edge of this river. Ugh. Like, literally, there's nothing in between it and a sheer cliff, but this one little branch, like a little bush growing out of the ground. I got it in my backpack, propped up. We got two rods out, and I see the rod starting to tick, so I click GoPro on my head, which yeah. I never do that. I click it. I'm like, I just need something. It ended up being the huge fish and a smaller one. Well, we get the smaller one in first and he takes it and I'm fighting the bigger one. Get that huge fish in. Thankfully had that part on video, blah, blah, blah. I go up there. Where do you think he put the smaller one? By your backpack. Underneath my backpack oh. <laughs> with my entire career on it. And my backpack was one sneeze from a frog from going in the river and I had never even had a clue. Yeah, like it yeah. was gone. But we got it done. Oh. So then I realized, holy cow, I have two minutes of good footage. So I started backpedaling and filming some stuff after the fact. Yeah, and yeah. I was able to get that video. But I'll forever be mad that I didn't just film the good and the bad. Yeah. But it's so hard to talk to a camera when you know everything's going wrong because I'm a fix-it person. Yeah. Like if we're in this trailer and something breaking i'm not worried about this podcast i'm worried how can i help you to fix it mm -hmm. that's just who i am naturally i want to help so the whole day i'm like what can i do to help this because apparently he's struggling yeah now he did put me on the biggest scar of my life but never did i think that that would happen that day so anyhow we get back to the hotel covered in mud like you've never seen and again i've lived in the swamp my whole life but texas mud's different it's so different yeah i've it's, experienced i'm that. red from head to toe so I get the, I brought my computer, I put the, and I saw that picture. So a lot of people think that that's a clickbait picture. That is a screenshot off the GoPro. You you literally see that picture in the video. Yeah. It's when I drag it out, but it just so happened to be the most epic shot of a big oh. gar ever. Yeah. So I said, okay, I got it. This story ain't over yet. I got the picture. So the next day we're gonna go put this boat in the water that he's had planned the whole time. We get to the boat ramp two hours away. 
He's like, oh yeah, I've been using this motor all the time. He puts it on, don't have oil in it. He cranks it and it blows the lower unit out into the parking lot. I'm like, I got on my phone and I booked a plane ticket. And I'm like, all right, I just need you to drop me off. I paid him a good chunk of money yeah. so nobody thinks I did anything for free. He drops me off at Dallas International. I go through security. They're like, you can't go through security here. You got to go to your right gate. Well, Dallas is huge. Yeah. I take a 40-minute bus ride to my right gate. I get in line. I get to security. They're like, you're at the wrong airport. Oh. I've now had 36 hours of the worst days of yeah, my life. Yeah. I have to now get in an Uber and go to Dallas Love. I'm by myself. Get there. Luckily, I didn't miss my flight. Just bought me a brand new pair of Costas. Yeah. I spent $1,500 in that flight so I could edit on the way home. And I knew that's how I would break even. Take my glass. Oh, not to mention, I get on a plane and it's a puddle jumper. There's no first class seats. They're all small. So yeah. I waste 1500 on a first class seat. Ugh. I left my brand new coasters in the seat in front of me when I got <laughs> off the plane. Yeah. So I come home pissed off at the world that this trip was just... And, and I have a right, in my opinion, to get mad when that happens because I cater to a lot of people and I would have never let that happen. Yeah. So in my defense, I had a right. But I pushed through the negativity. Negativity. I figured out how to make a video for it. Now it's been the biggest video I've ever or probably will ever do. Yeah. And it's funny how all that works out because you wonder, even looking back at your own life, how many times did I give up? Oh, yeah. Early? So many times. Like, I mean, think about how many times one split decision could ultimately alter your entire life. Mm -hmm. I just don't take like I'm very emotional. I'll get pissed off so bad. But in two minutes, it's time to get over it and everybody forget about it. Yeah. And it's hard to get men to be like that, let alone women. So you're in a relationship. You got to be able to separate work. You know, with my ex-girlfriend, Kelly, we filmed together for two years. We struggle with separating work from our relationship. Mm -hmm. Now with Crystal, I'm like, look, when we're filming, it's dog eat dog. Mm -hmm. But we're not dating. When we shut the cameras off, I'll be that lovey-dovey. Yeah. And her and I literally never argue. We never fight about anything. It's because we were able to do that. But life is all about decisions, mm -hmm. period. And that Gar video was – I wish I could even explain to you. Just There were so many other things, but I just kept pushing through. But you know what it boils down to? I didn't have an easy way out, so I had to do it. Yeah. I didn't have my – if I had had my own truck, I'd have left – as soon as he didn't pick me up from the airport. Yeah. There would have been so many times. If Rico would have been driving through and called me, I'd have been like, bro, pick me up right now. We're getting the hell out of here. Yeah. But I was forced to stay. And look what I did. Videos at 24 million views and go it. Yeah. And it's a, gr it's a great video. And even even had you filmed some of the adversity, it probably would have been even better. Way because better. Because you could have captured the whole story. And here's one more funny thing about the GAR video. Probably one of the biggest, most common comments in the GAR video. So... You're using chunks of, uh, I keep backing up from the, oh, uh, you're fine. You keep, we using chunks of carp. Mm -hmm. Anybody knows that the row in a carp or any fish falls off. It ain't staying. So he cuts me a piece of the carp and it's got a big chunk of the row on it. I know it's going to fall off, but I hook it on there. I hook the carp through the skin. So it ain't falling off. And when I throw it, the piece of row flies off in the horizon. So many people, this idiot doesn't even know how to fish. He threw his bait off when he cast it. That's the negativity I'm talking about. Yeah. They're not smart enough to realize that, no, that was just a chunk. 
you can clearly see my bait still on the hook. Yeah. But think in that video, that's what somebody out of a 20 minute long video took out of that video was let me hate on him because say my bait did fall off. Yeah. Is that what you want to be rude to somebody about? But it did. Well, and there's a, there's a phrase in art that's, you know, art critics are artists who never made it. I think sometimes too, it's people frustrated that they're telling them it's easier to tell yourself I could do better than for you just to go and do. I mean, it's hard to go and do because you get oh my gosh, and so people hard. make mistakes, you know, like, I mean, you can hook something wrong or, you know, especially when you're doing a lot, you're not doing the same thing every single day. You know, you're mixing it up a lot. I mean, people are going to, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to break stuff. You're going to have bad judgment on things. And I think that this generation though, likes authenticity and is a little tired and worn out of seeing these outdoor shows that are really self-glorifying where I don't make mistakes. I don't miss shots. I, I know everything, you know, I think there's a realness that some people do crave, not the negativity people in general, that it just shows some of that adversity that is relatable. If you were, if there was a young kid who is wanting to do something, I mean, you see, we're here at the Florida outdoor expo. That's why there's all this background noise, which is fun. It's been a great environment. If you were talking to a young kid that wants to hunt and fish as a younger version of you, what advice would you give them just in general about how to make the most out of it? Leave his cell phone at the house. Hmm. Don't even take it. Leave the cell phone at the house. If you kill something or harbor something, get it, get your parents to take a picture of it when you get home. Hmm. Because it isn't until you leave that phone at the house that you're ever going to start learning anything. Mm-hmm. Like now you have Onyx Hunts, which is a great app. I use it with my kids when we're tree stand hunting because now my kids are old enough that I put them out in their own tree stand on their own. But I then think, well, what happened? You know, I'm not invincible. What happened if I had a heart attack or something? My kids. So they have that. But you're never going to really learn until you put that crap away and go learn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can figure out how to hunt on Onyx with the map. But what happens when your battery dies and now you haven't paid attention to where you were going? Mm -hmm. And I lost my phone the other day, like a month ago, filming a video. To this day, I don't know where my phone was. (laughs) Imagine if I was a 16-year-old kid in the woods yeah. for the first time and I was solely focused on Onyx. I'd have been lost as can be. Mm-hmm. When my dad took us when we were young, I would always look at a, a bent tree or something that was odd. But kids need to get over the fact because, and, and the, you'll agree with me now, dawn are the days of the biggest fish matters. Nobody gives a crap. You want to see a 300-pound yellowfin? There's thousands of pictures on mm-hmm. Instagram. People want to see stuff that they can relate to. Mm -hmm. Go learn how to do it and then show it on Instagram. Yeah. Don't don't try to fake it till you make it because that crap ain't going to work. I think it's good. Are you uh, good if I do some rapid fire questions and just kind of survey a couple different disciplines for you? Go ahead. So when you travel outside of fishing gear and hunting gear, what is the most important piece of gear that you bring with you? My camera gear. Was that part of the question? Well, go into that. That's fine. What what gear do you use? A lot of GoPros? Like, what does your setup look like? I solely use GoPro. Mm-hmm. Or my phone. iPhone 14 is phenomenal, but the audio is terrible. But I'm finding now that people don't even care about audio. Mm-hmm. I filmed a video the other day. The audio is terrible. We were fishing in 30, 35 knot winds. And mm-hmm. People are like, we love it. Hmm. Um, 
I don't know. I barely wear clothes. I don't wear shoes most places. So and food, do you do snacks, all your own filming? Snacks. I get pissed off if we don't have snacks and I'm fishing. What's what's your go-to snacks? Pork rinds. Oh, recently, but pork rinds or Reese pieces. My girlfriend's huge into snacks too, so we're both probably gonna end up with diabetes. Snacks is see, snacks. I should have known that. That that is a hundred percent from start to finish the most important. Yeah. I um I interviewed Mark Kenyon and he had a great snack hack that it wasn't his but he uh, he shared it and it was to take a hot pocket and to put it in like a Yeti thermos it keeps the hot pocket warm. Do you have any like little snack trips or ticks, tips or tricks that you could uh, share? I just bring peanut butter and jelly and a loaf of bread. Yeah, build it on demand. Yeah. Yeah. On demand on the fly. Sometimes you'll pull a loaf out and it might be moldy from like four trips before. Mm-hmm. Just pick the moldy pieces out. I mean, mold's penicillin, so it ain't going to hurt you. Just eat it. Well, yeah, and I, I fished with a guy who uh, did uh, peanut butter and jelly on tortillas, and so it's a little more compact. And that was pretty good, too. You just got to not let it get too hot. I don't like when, like, the peanut butter Bro, and when you're hungry, it don't hot. matter what it is. My only stickler is I ain't eating Vienna sausages. All my buddies yeah. have Vienna sausages. I, I did as a kid. I did as a kid, too. but I left it behind. Yeah, there's some things that you Potted meat's okay, but I ain't doing Vienners. I'm not doing sardines. Give me a Mountain Dew and a Snickers bar, and I can pretty much go all day. Mm. For for you, who was the greatest influence in your life outside of maybe your father or brother family? Outside influence. Oh, I had one dude in particular, Bill Grigsby, a guy I met him years ago. He, um, I mean, he just took me everywhere. Took me and did things that I never could, and... He's who let me borrow the money to buy my first motor. Mm-hmm. Let me, I didn't have, I, I had the money to buy the contender cash, but I didn't want to be broke afterwards. Um, I asked him for a six month loan. He said, I'll give you a two year loan. I paid him off in three months. Mm-hmm. Um, he pretty much is the greatest besides my family. He is the greatest influence in my life. Mm-hmm. But in my defense, when I told him I would do something, I always did it half as, I did it in half the time, mm-hmm. and that's how you should live life. Hmm. If you borrow something from somebody, pay them back in half the time, if possible. Um, but yeah, he's he he single. He put me on all my biggest deer, turkey hunts. Bill Grigsby by far, hmm. just a friend of mine. He's a nobody. He's just a guy. Yeah, who got me to where I am now by solely having faith in me. Hmm. If somebody were to ask you what makes a great outdoorsman. How would you answer that? You better be able to do it all. Because until you can do it all, you're not an outdoorsman, in my opinion, Hmm. at all. What's your favorite place to hunt or fish outside of Florida? Venice, Louisiana. No questions asked. If I didn't live in Stewart, Florida, I'd live in Venice, Louisiana. What, What all do you like to do there? Everything. That is Venice, Louisiana. Yeah. Do you? What's your waterfowl kind of connection like? Do you enjoy waterfowl or? I used to guide duck hunts on the side before I did YouTube, and I had two clients. One of them about blew his, his partner's head off of my boat, and I said I'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty dangerous one to guide. If he would have, if he would have used my gun like I had been demanding all morning, it was early teal. I knew they weren't going to fly hard. Had three knots come by, all three knots, his gun jammed. I said, dude, use my gun. They're not going to fly for much longer. Mm-hmm. He said, let me have one more crack at it. He swung around on a bird that came in tight, pulled the trigger right at the back of his buddy's head. If oh he would have had my gun, he would have decapitated his buddy. Oh. And his buddy didn't even know. Wow. Oh. When I mean to tell you, 
I kicked back in my chair and fell because he was coming for both of us. I watched his tr his finger pull the trigger at the back of his buddy's head. If he would have borrowed my gun, or if he would have used my gun like I was demanding, there would have been no more. As you look back at hundreds of YouTube videos, what one not most popular, but to you personally on a personal my level, what's video. most meaningful? My noodling video. Why is that? Because that's just me. Yeah. All of them are me, so don't get me wrong. I've never done a video that I've ever edited that I didn't think was me, but that noodling video is me. You know why? Because that crap hurt worse than any. I was in so much pain <laughs> and was so nervous and so out of my comfort zone, and it just kept driving me to want to do it more. And what you don't see in that video is I'd probably already caught eight over 50 pounds that day. My hands were literally about broke. Mm -hmm. The third day, I couldn't even put a glove. My hands were so swollen and infected, and I just wanted to go more. No, that's why I cut you off when you were saying. Oh yeah, my it was no video. brainer. My yeah, I have video. not done it yet. I need to. I need to get myself outside the shell and do it. Well, they I need tried to, interview to scare with me. The, the, the guys that I went with said, "Oh, you can't wear gloves on your first one." Well, you're not gonna back me down. So I, I jumped yeah. in with no gloves. God Almighty, I wish I'd have had gloves on. Yeah, I gotta do it. I need to interview somebody that's really deep in that space. Be I can tell you anything you need to know about it. It bites you. Imagine you putting your hand on that asphalt and a semi running your hand over. That's what it feels like. It's not, Watch a, good, that not video. a good sell, not a good sell, but no, it, it's, yeah, it it's seems addicting. If you like pain, it's addicting. Yeah. My last question to you is, and we're about to have to go just cause they're about to start the swine races and it's going to get real rowdy over here. I wish I could have somebody like you to film with every day. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll make it happen sometime. <laughs> That's all I ever need in life is somebody to just engage. Like crystal <laughs> is good. I will say, but I'd need more people that can just engage. That's our hardest problem. Yeah. Well, now you're going to get some resumes maybe. Um, my last question is if, if you could go back to yourself as a kid and you're hunting and fishing and give yourself one piece of life advice, broad advice, what would that advice be? You're not going to like this answer, but it'd probably be drop out in like kindergarten and go to work. <laughs> hey, I mean, in the generation that is always pushing college, you know, for what do you need yeah. college for when you have an iPhone that will tell you? anything in mm. thousands of a second why waste my kid spends an hour a day in pe at school mm -hmm. imagine if he spent that hour a day learning something that was worth it mm -hmm. trade school welding plumbing mm -hmm. there's a million trades we're always going to need mechanics we're always going to need plumbers electricians construction in 10 years construction jobs will be the highest paid jobs because mm. nobody wants to do it anymore mm. it's good it's good advice, man. I appreciate it. We could go longer and longer, but unfortunately, we have to wrap up with the, the Outdoor Expo show. But thank you so much, man. I look forward to hanging out again. Maybe we'll get out in the woods and water and do something. But thanks so much for carving out some time. And if people want to follow you, I'll put some links in the podcast bio, and they can check it out. So thank you, Gabe. I really appreciate it. I like this. I've never had – I'm always asking the questions. I like being asked questions. Yeah, it's fun to mix it up, man. Thank you so much. It was great to hang out. I do. How can people find you? Yeah, uh, captainscollective.com. All right, I'll put this on my stuff too. Awesome, thank you. My fans have never, my fans have never seen me do this kind of stuff either. Yeah, well, great, man. Well, I appreciate it, dude. Until next time. Yes, sir. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective podcast. Help us out by sharing this podcast with your friends online and leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening. This is the Captain's Collective.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.